Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Get yourself a little bit of Dixville Notch. My God, the way you say that, Tony. This is the first uh, town, city, place. It's six people who vote in the first primary, and in the first town in the first primary. They do it at midnight. And it's, oh, it's kitschy and it's fun. It leads to a little bit of talking point. And Nikki Haley got six votes. No, Oh, just me. I'm doing it for effect. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, kitten? 833 got Tony. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything at all in any way whatsoever. Dixville Notch doesn't matter. What matters is, of course, the numbers. This is New Hampshire. The very last polling that's out there uh, has her, uh, Trump ahead 19 points. It would indicate that in the last three polls, Trump has gone up in popularity. The last three polls happening without Ron DeSantis being a part of the equation. The last one, Boston Globe Suffolk poll, Trump 60, Haley 38 which gives an overall, in the Real Clear Politics average, a 19-point spread. I still think we're in the 17-18. That's the way I was calling it based on, on, on how I saw Iowa. Nikki Haley, is, is, is this it? Does Nikki Haley make it out of New Hampshire alive? There was this, I think, this startling photo, video. It's Tim Scott and Doug Burgum and Vivek Ramaswamy, all of whom ran for president, with Donald Trump, and you're like, oh, that's a, that's, a, that's a lot of unity. That is a tremendous amount of unity, just a massive amount of unity. Or is, is, that, the, uh, is, is that the establishment? And you're like, which, which one? Which way do you want to take it? Because I think the Nikki Haley people are desperate to try and make it out to be that that. Haley uh, somehow is is the one who is, um, you know, anti-establishment. Haley is the one who uh, is, is the one who's really with the people. Uh, I'm not making this up, by the way, that she believes it. Uh, she said it. Even also, Trump, you say you're showing a message of unity. How do you? They haven't even voted here yet. They haven't even voted no, here. No, but I you think I think it's not the party <laughs> uniting around President Trump. It's the political elite that are uniting around That's President right. Trump. And the political elite have never been with me my entire career because I've always fought the political elite. It's why I want them to have term limits. It's why I want them to have mental competency tests. It's why I think that they're. I call them out on wasteful spending, whether they're a Republican or Democrat. It's why I've said if you can't give Americans 
a budget on time, you shouldn't get paid. I fight the political class. Donald Trump has the political class surrounding him. That's not what Americans want. The political class has gotten us into this mess. We need a normal, real person to get us out of this mess. I don't think you can sell that to anyone. I actually don't think it's a bad talking point considering all the people who have endorsed him. But you can't sell it. You can't sell it because the argument is the establishment class is the one trying to keep Trump out of the race, thus all of the indictments. That's the argument, and that's a hard one to, to, to punch back against. It seems that Nikki Haley's moves and maneuvers uh, fall to a, a, a large extent on deaf ears, uh, especially when she she wants to uh, you know question, for example, Trump's cognitive ability, and oh, we're gonna get into this one too on the cognitive abilities. Well, once you have the Biden administration also doing the same thing, it kind of goes away. Your, your 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 punch of hey, I'm more apt, capable, able, and Trump's an old man. Like Biden's an old man, it kind of disappears. The Biden administration's going to mock Trump when it's Joe Biden, a guy who can't get off a stage? Come now. And then there's been the real conversations about things that Biden, uh, Trump has been saying and, and, and some levels of confusion. You're calling uh, Nikki Haley Nancy Pelosi or Nancy Pelosi Nikki Haley, and it's, it, 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 you can't deny the thing. But if Nikki Haley's now going to make this claim, it gets uh, blunted and stunted by the Biden people. And then... There was this. It's not even what I believe. It's what Americans believe. What do you believe? Because you're the one who's saying that. I worry about the fact that they are so focused on investigations and things that they don't like and focused on the past. When do you ever hear either one of them talk about the solutions of the future? I'm doing this because I don't want my kids to live like this. We have got to start looking forward. You've got a country in disarray. You've got a world on fire. And you're going to focus on people who hurt your feelings. You're going to focus on investigations that are involved with your families. You're going to focus on vengeance. With me, it's no drama. It's no vendettas. It's just hard work. And it's making sure we're not thinking four and eight years. We're thinking 20 and 30 years out. You don't want to go there on whether or not they're equally bad? I mean, if they were, if either one of them was good, I wouldn't be running. Yes, they are equally bad. That's why I'm running. Nikki Haley can't get out alive because Nikki Haley can't resist that trap. From a reporter. If the reporter's asking the question, clearly the question's a bad one. Have you never heard of rejecting the premise? Rejecting the premise at that moment is, my gosh, this is a ridiculous question. How foolhardy. It's clear that when it comes to policy, Donald Trump would be far better than Joe Biden. But none of that matters. I'm better than uh, Trump on policy, and I'm better than Biden on cognitive ability. So you may want to hate all you want. The American people don't want hate. Now, that's how you could have answered the question, Nikki Haley, but you didn't. You bought into what it is the reporter said. And that dog won't hunt. This is exactly Nikki Haley's issue. We've been discussing this for a while now. Nikki Haley gets herself caught. Nikki Haley gets lost because Nikki Haley is trying to compute what is the answer people want to hear as opposed to giving an answer to stop the madness. The reporter is not on your side. I have taught myself uh, from, from, from early on even when I was doing stuff with, with Fox or, 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 or someone 
friendly. The question being asked, first, may not be rational. And secondly, the person asking the question will get much more if I screw up than if I am clear and certainly if, if, if I'm direct. Clear and direct is what the audience wants. Screw up is what uh, the reporter and your enemy wants. So when you are, 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 are listening to a question, the first thing that you do in, in the response mechanisms is, wait, is this a legitimate question? Is, does the premise of this question make sense? Are they both equally bad? In no way, shape, or form, no matter what you think about Donald Trump, if, if you're somebody on the political right, are they both equally bad? And I would tell any never-Trumper who believes that, that they're out of their holy damn mind. Remember, nothing is more radical, more inept, more absolutely worthless than the concept of never Trump. And the people who went never Trump from the very beginning are people I'm more than happy to not deal with and not associate with. Never communist, that's a conservative principle. Never Trump doesn't exist as a concept or a principle. My choice in 2016 was Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. You tell me how never Trump is better. Never Trump means Hillary. Explain to me how that's better. I had written back at, 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 at that time an open letter to my kids. It was the first time ever acknowledging that I had children in, in print. I acknowledge my children. I'm not Hunter. I'm saying that I don't usually talk about these things out loud. I have got very, for a guy who does radio, I've got some super weird privacy issues. I, I, I do. And, and so I, I, it was the first time I'd ever done such a thing, acknowledged them. And I said to them, because I knew uh, in, in 2016, I only knew, I knew Trump from being an East Coast guy, being a Jersey, New York guy. I mean, my grandmother lived in Trump Village that was built by his father there uh, in, in, in Brighton, right? I, I knew these people. I knew the stories. I knew, I knew everything. And, I, and I, what I had written to my kids was that I have to go with the odds because I knew that Trump was not a conservative. And let's all be clear. When he ran in 2016, he wasn't. What he governed as? Absolutely true. 1,000%. So shocking and stunning in the vast majority of things, one could lose their mind, especially those first three years. And I said, with, with Hillary Clinton, I get zero of what I want. I am guaranteed to lose 100% of the time. With Donald Trump, I have a jump ball. I have a 50-50 shot of getting what I want, knowing, certainly when we were electing him in 2016, that he wasn't a conservative. And for the people who said, oh, yes, he was, no, he wasn't. I'm not going to sit here and allow anybody to engage in a revision of history. I would rather fight. He wasn't. He had no bearing uh, towards that direction whatsoever. What did we get? <laughs> Damn good. Not perfect. I got things. I'm not a tariffs guy, right? Tariffs are something that utilizes a tool to then get the trade deal, uh, to leave them on there. That's a tax. and that's, that, that, that's not my thing. But as an idea of saying you got to get China to come to the table and you got to get this one to come to the table and you got you to do something. You can't just keep doing what you were doing. That was worthwhile for sure. If you tell me that you look at Trump and you look at Biden in 2024, can you imagine it's Biden and you look at them and you're like, yeah, equally bad? That's an irrational thought process from an irrational person. The question was irrational and Nikki Haley still answered it. 
why? The question was meant to be a soundbite utilized by guys like me to say, look at what you're doing, and then to be utilized by the press when when Trump, who is clearly on his way, I mean, anything could happen, right? You got to put that, that caveat in there, on his way to being the nominee if he should stumble. Well, look at what the Republican said about him. Look at what Nikki Haley said about him. Why are you giving whoever the reporter is the soundbite? Why are you buying into the concept? And the answer is, I don't know if she even recognizes when it's happening. I she She's so trying to figure out well, what's the right answer for the right people for this, that, as opposed to questioning whether or not the question is validity to begin with. And that's uh, un- undoubtedly her biggest issue. Undoubtedly her biggest problem. And I think that that uh, has... Is, is is showing. Now, I'll give you something I don't think is is to this case, something that uh, is not something that Nikki Haley has to do, and this comes from Carrie Lake. What do you think is going to happen now come South Carolina and uh, going to Nikki Haley's home state? Well, I hope Nikki Haley um, looks in the mirror and, and says, does she want to be the person who tries to stop a movement of taking back our country? Her numbers are not good here. Her numbers are terrible in her home state of South Carolina. And I hope that she does some soul searching and realizes that the globalists and the donors who are trying to control her, that she doesn't want to be their puppet anymore. She wants to get behind a movement of the great, incredible people like you see down here in this amazing country. And she wants to get behind us and with us and join behind making President Trump the 47th president of the United States and saving this. Now. I think Nikki Haley's entitled to run for president because she doesn't agree with uh, with uh, those people. She sees a different way, and she wants to sell it as a better way. Any candidate can do that. Uh, you know, I, I think that the whole get behind the movement thing uh, actually does a lot of turning off. May, for, for the ardent Trump supporter, they're already there. I think for everybody else, uh, the movement is 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 not so much the thing as the country. The country. I think that some people naturally hear movements and they're like, mm, look, I was a Tea Party guy. <laughs> I, I know how people, <laughs> they give the arm's length. And certainly Carrie Lake, I don't think, uh, carries uh, gravitas outside of um, the, the Trump supporter. I, I really don't think so. But you can run for president if you choose. But when you run, shouldn't you run in a way that gives you the possibility of, of success? I think Nikki Haley, uh, it, it, the question is she going to get out alive, uh, you know, that's for the people to decide. But based on how the polling has not gone in her favor over the past couple, to the extent we want to believe in polling, and the way she answers these questions, which does not uh, signal that she's really looking to connect, is that it, it signals that she's desperate to find an answer to get out of being asked the question. I don't see it. Because those answers are bad answers. But does the conversation about Trump's mental fitness actually connect? Oh, we're going to talk about that. You got to stick around. Do not miss it. This is Tony Katz today.
So the Israelis make an offer. A two-month ceasefire. An offer to Hamas that comes from the Qataris and the Egyptians. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. Get the podcast over there. Be a supporter. Would love, appreciate uh, the, the support. The desire is, of course, to get back the hostages. This is what they're trying to do. And to get back the hostages, they're willing to do near anything. So first you'd get back the women and children, then you'd get back people over the age of of 60, and then you would get back uh, members of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. Now, I have seen reports that Hamas has rejected this deal. Um, I, I will tell you that I think Israel's push on this after, of course, uh, being hit uh, by the Hamas terrorists who are supported by the Iranian terrorists, uh, murdering 1,200 people, raping women, setting people on fire, uh, kidnapping women, children, the elderly, keeping them in cages, which last I heard, cages were bad, but I guess that's only at the southern border, and if Trump is president, um, the, the, there's, a, of course, the real desire to get these people back and get them get them home and my thought when i first heard this is i think this is uh israel saying okay we'll put this out there if we can get the people we win if we can't get the people which we are pretty sure is going to be the case then what we're going to do is we're going to say well world we tried and then it is straight on till morning till hamas is completely destroyed and whatever happens happens I believe that's the way they see it. Then you check in with guys like Cenk, uh, who uh, on, uh, we believe it's Uger. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, it's it's Uger. The Israelis are the terrorists. Plenty in a separate uh, issue. They saw that he had a giant picture of an Israeli settler terrorist who killed 29 innocent Palestinians in his living room. He celebrates terrorists, and he's the national security minister of Israel. Netanyahu has now murdered 20 times the number of civilians Hamas has. 20 times Hamas. Israel is led by a bunch of terrorists. If terrorism means killing civilians on purpose, if you think Israel isn't killing people on purpose, that golly gee, they just have the world's worst military. I mean, they meant to get the terrorists, but golly gee, they accidentally killed nonstop civilians, over 20,000 civilians. They just can't seem to shoot straight. Well, come on, come on. You're so deep in your bias, you can't see straight. Obviously, they're killing them on purpose. That's the most obvious thing in the world. The whole world sees it. The whole world hates Israel from the start. What are we, what are we discussing here? But if this is the way you want to see the world uh, as twisted and as sick as that is, Cenk, that Israel is the terrorists, Israel is doing, we're, we're going to trust uh, the numbers from uh, the Gaza Health Ministry, which is Hamas. That is not to say that innocent people aren't dead. Of course, that is the case, and it's awful, and it's Hamas's fault. But if we're going to sit here and claim that, that uh, I'm going to say that Hamas is a terrorist organization, you're going to say Israel is a terrorist organization, okay. All right, let them fight it out. Let's see who wins. Let's see who's stronger. Let's see who's tougher. Let's see. 
is there an issue? No, all you do is want Israel to suffer and Israel to be destroyed. I want terrorists to be destroyed, but I don't want anybody to suffer. This is the kind of thing that people are surprised that that kind of bigotry exists. I find it surprising that people are surprised. This is Tony Katz today. You have yet another hit against the Houthi rebels from the U.S. military. This being the United States and the U.K. I keep making the argument that it seems to me that our problem is in the United States, when it comes to elected officials, there is no understanding that we are indeed at war with Iran because Iran is at war with us. This strike, the U.S. and the U.K. launching this strike on the Houthi rebels in Yemen, the second assault of these from these countries. This is the eighth time that the group has been targeted. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now, a retired United States Army West Point guy. He is our military analyst, as you see him all over your radio and TV dials, but this is the only radio dial and video dial that that matters. Sir, let's get into uh, my basic premise here, um, which is these strikes on Houthi rebels only continue to prove that we're at war with Iran because Iran is at war with us. I want to get to that, but let's start with what it is these strikes have engaged. How did the first strikes or the first seven strikes fail, and what's the purpose here? Well, Tony, first, they haven't failed. They just started this process of trying to restore some kind of deterrence. Um, We don't have any – the Houthis – we're on two different wavelengths. The Houthis want war with the United States. They think of this as a way of punching up. They think this is a way of – of uh, mobilizing their people. Uh, they have thousands of rockets and missiles and all, all equipped by Iran. Uh, we now are telling the Houthis all we're trying to do is restore maritime shipping lanes in the Red Sea. We're, we don't really seem to want any kind of combat with them. But then now in the past 48 hours, we've increased the number of attacks that we've made on their, uh, their facilities. Now, in order for this behavior to change here, we've got to go to a full air campaign. We have to literally go 24 7, 2,000 sorties, something where we, if we really want to restore the Houthis and restore the deterrence that exists there, um, we've got to absolutely, you know, step up the amount of attacks that we're going to make here. But for whatever reason, because of the Iranian influence, every time we fire a rocket into Yemen, into a Houthi uh, stronghold, there's likely Iranian soldiers getting killed. And for whatever reason, this administration wants nothing to do with escalating anything with Iran. That that is uh certainly been the story and this goes back to the Iranian nuclear deal, the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action under the Obama administration, the uh Biden administration insistence of returning uh to uh that that mission, that that theory that somehow Iran can be stopped from getting uh, a, a nuclear weapon which I I think we could clearly argue no they can't. What is the rationale here? for the the deference when it comes to Iran, do you see a strategic possibility from it? 
No, and and I do think that Iran is behind every single one of these attacks. The bottom line is each of us have got uh, our allies have existential threat, right? If Israel, Israel is our ally here. There's an existential threat between Hamas, Hezbollah, and really Iran as the proxies that they support are all against Israel. But then on the flip side here, um, from Iran's perspective, the Houthis, Hezbollah, Hamas, that's their allies, and they're, they're having an existential threat. So I think that's where this proxy war is really taking place. Now, I, I agree with you also that the, 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 the thinking is that, oh, no, the, the Iranians don't want this to be, es- you know. Es- Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I just don't think that's the case. You had uh, the naval commander uh, down in, in CENTCOM, I think, come out just today and say that the Iranians' fingerprints are all over what's going on in Houthi, directing those attacks. They have to be. They have to be getting the information from someplace. So as we do an, either an air campaign to go after that material, take away their capability to wage war, and then also some kind of interdiction on supplies coming in from the Persian Gulf. You saw we lost two, sadly, we lost two SEALs in, in that mission. Um, it's a hard, but it's, it's going to be worth the while if we can get the Houthis to stop firing. That mission, uh, talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, that mission was stopping ships uh, that are taking arms from Iran and sending them to the Houthi rebels and other places. And that story of two Navy SEALs who, after a 10-day search mission, rescue mission, has turned into a recovery mission, got no real press coverage whatsoever, as if there is a desire to keep this story very, very quiet. But it brings us to this this hard uh, question. Is the United States at war with Iran when we're dealing with the Houthi rebels, when we're dealing with Hamas, which is funded uh, by Iran, and there are American hostages being held by Hamas? Or maybe said differently, is Iran at war with the United States? You know, I, there's so many conflicts taking place right now in the Middle East. Uh, who's shooting at whom? It, it's a list. I've got at least 10 conflicts that uh, are out there. If you check on, on my ex Twitter feed, you'll see that there as I've listed them. Um, I, I think that the Iranians are continuing to try to prod and to try to, uh, you know, whether they're at war with the U.S., I'm not sure that's the case. The Iranian, So the Iranian authoritative regime is trying to survive itself. I, you know, terrorism has now come home to roost there. You saw attacks in Kerman from ISIS-K, uh, the attacks that uh, the, the Iranians are making now into Pakistan, into the Balachi, into Balochistan. And this is these separatist movements that are looking to overthrow the Iranian government. Iranians argue that when they when they lob missiles into Erbil, they're attacking the Kurds there, ISIS inside of Syria. So the Iranians themselves now are attacking outside in order to try to preserve what security they have in there. Um, I guess from a perspective, they, they don't think that the United States will do uh, what it does. And that is, you know, kind of crank up the war machine and decide to go to a formal war with Iran um, for whatever reason. At least this administration won't. That would lead to a tremendously oversized regional conflict in the area where where who knows what would happen then. So let me um, continue on this on this conversation about are we at war with Iran or is it ran w- at war with us? John Kirby, who uh, does uh, the work there um, with with uh, um, national security. 
was responding to a, a question that was asked of him on Good Morning America. And in this, this conversation on Good Morning America, he was asked about some recent attacks on uh, U.S. troops. I am going to do what I can. I was going to try and figure out how to, how to play this. I'm not always a, a pro at, the, at these things just yet. But he was asked about, uh, about this, and his, his response was, was that, look, only a very small number of troops have been, have been damaged here, uh, and, and, you know, it was just some traumatic brain injuries. Nothing serious. He played it off like it was no big deal. U.S. troops getting injured. Never mind being attacked, but being injured to any extent. And here's John Kirby uh, from the National Security Council, the guy who has been brought in by the administration uh, really to play some kind of uh, um, role model to Corinne Jean-Pierre as White House press secretary, and he's saying it's no big deal. You're a military guy. Is it a big deal? No, it sure is. Um, Americans, uh, you know, fathers and mothers don't send their sons and daughters to go and, and gain these, have these kind of injuries there if they can be prevented. A little bit concerned about that. I think uh, he might want to take that, that back. But it's just all about this administration not wanting to really draw a red line, knowing full well that the Iranians will cross it and then ex- with an expectation of, of us doing something to them. Uh, it, it is not going to change. I don't think that uh, for as long as the Biden administration is in, is in power, uh, they're going to do whatever they can to appease uh, this situation, which is also trying to get Israel to stop what they're doing. They, they still believe in the two-state solution. All of these things that um, are just not real when it comes to the actual situation on the ground. They live in this world of, of how they want the world to be. They want it to be more globalist. They want to have uh, more uh, involvement with these other nations. But at the end of the day, that's not the world that exists right now in the Middle East. It's one of uh, what of power and it's one of uh, who, who's got the more might. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army West Point guy uh, on the X at MAJ for Major Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, M-A-J Mike Lyons on on Twitter. Um, You know, sometimes I I ask the question, how does this end? You know, we've discussed this regarding Ukraine and and one of the uh, great uh, answers uh, we go back to John Kirby. Uh, he's asked the, the, the question about an endgame in Ukraine. He's like, oh, well, it's what we always expected. Here, listen. After last week's meeting on Ukraine here at the White House, uh, the Speaker of the House implied that President Biden uh, did not articulate, it, uh, articulate a clear strategy for Ukraine. So does the White House have one and uh, what quoting speaker johnson is the end game for ukraine uh look i i can't uh, i can't speak uh to what the the speaker has heard or read or, or understood from the countless discussions that we've had with members of congress about ukraine and what we're trying to do here um it's it's been pretty transparent and pretty clear we want ukraine to win this war, as the president has said. We want a whole, prosperous, sovereign Ukraine. We want Ukraine's borders, internationally established borders, to be fully recognized by everybody, and that includes Mr. Putin. Uh, Yet, while they're saying this, 
We also know a major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, that there have been conversations not so clandestine about the fact that you may have to give up something because this is uh, World War One trench warfare. Nobody's giving an inch. Everybody's stuck in the mud. And it could be this way with you losing more and more people for the next 20 years and simply Russia can afford to lose the people and, and, and you can't. So you, it leads us to what is really the end game, the desire here regarding the United States? What, what is it that, you know, how this turns out, how does this end up? Well, now the same question can be asked regarding the Houthis who are thinking that they're in control of the navigable seas and really Iran. How does this end up, or at least what is the conventional wisdom amongst your set regarding how the Biden administration will get either one of these things to end? So the Pentagon thinks that an air campaign in Yemen would do, do go a very long way to at least restoring those maritime passageways and stop the Houthis from firing there. And, and the Houthis then would risk losing the control they have of Yemen. Right. Yemen is divided in the east and the west. The Sana government, the, uh, the they're out of power now as as the you know, classic failed third world country where a non-state actor has taken control of the country. You know, Yemen is one of the poorest countries in the Middle East as well. There's famine. Uh, they've been killing each other there in a civil war since 2014. The Saudis tried to intervene, and that didn't work out because Yemen is on their border. Uh, but I do think that the, the Pentagon believes that an air campaign would destroy all their military capability, as well as then put the Houthis in risk of even controlling Yemen as it sees. But then the country still just continues to spiral deeper, deeper into depression. So that, that kind of fixes one problem, though. But it doesn't fix the Iranian problem, though, because the Israelis are still going to attack um, Iranian targets inside of Syria. We see them taking out leadership there. We see them taking out leadership inside of Lebanon. So so eventually this does potentially lead to uh, the big problem that is an, an all-out Iran-Israel conflict uh, where then it becomes from the air, from the sea, the militias, all kinds of things. That that becomes a, a very much expanded regional conflict. Uh, to, the, to that end, uh, of course, you have Iran funding Hamas. You certainly have Iran funding uh, Hezbollah uh, to the north where they engaged a series of rocket attacks and then backed off because uh, 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 Israel was very, very solid in, in levels of, of response. How many fronts can Israel actually fight at one time before the United States says we're involved or... Well, this is your problem. Yeah, that's a great question. I think what they'll do is watch to see how Israel is doing across those fronts. And the United States will act as a tripwire at some point if they think, um, you know, it's kind of like a broken arrow scenario where if they're beginning to be overrun, the capital or so, the United States then gets involved indirectly there. No troops or anything like that on the ground, uh, but this was that kind of fallacy of air power will solve that problem. You know, the Iranians won't fight Israel through their Republican Guard units. They'll use the, you know, anywhere from 125,000, 150,000 Shia militia groups that exist in Syria, inside of Iraq, uh, Hezbollah, Hamas, and they'll try to mobilize them from there. And they and they are. They have been surrounded by their enemies since their inception in 1948 but uh, i think that's the, that's where the united states gets involved in a broken arrow situation where israel is about to be overrun could you quickly uh, define broken arrow well as a situation where u.s forces it's a you know kind of an old school method where if you if you give that command over the radio it means every single air asset every single asset available must respond to u.s forces about to be overrun you saw it took place you know back uh, in the vietnam era and the like 
uh, with with regard to um, units uh, that were about to be overrun. Everybody basically stops what they're doing, clears their desks and gets what they can, gets any indirect fire to help there. So I think I think that that's really what they're on standby for. You have a carrier group that's there, the destroyers as well as the aircraft ready to go, should that be the case. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. Major Mike Lyons on the Twitter box. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us, be a part of what we're doing. Much more to get to. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. So the Supreme Court rules with President Biden. I'm not actually surprised by this. It was a 5-4 decision. Uh, You had uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, no surprise. Amy Coney Barrett, maybe a surprise, going with the leftist judges, the justices, saying that President Biden can tell Texas to get rid of the razor wire uh, that they placed on the border. Governor Greg Abbott has said, uh, we're going to keep fighting for Texas and we're willing to have this fight and that's all there is to it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Uh, I've said it once, and I'm going to get more into it uh, in a little bit. The president decides immigration policy. They told Trump he couldn't do this, couldn't do that, couldn't do the other. He's the president. Of course he could do these things. Of course he can. He sets immigration policy. That's the purview of the president. So I can't now say under Biden he's not doing, he, he, he's not allowed to. The problem is he's not doing his job. The problem is they do have an open porous border. The problem is they won't admit to it. Although Biden did just say the other day that the border is not secure. Where has the Republican Party been? It should have been an immediate series of press conferences dominating cable news. They should have forced their way on and said, here is the package that we're sending. Chuck Schumer has to pass this. And when Chuck Schumer balks on it, why aren't you with the leader of your party who says the border is not secure? This should have been constant. I mean, it's not too late. Constant, non-stop, the border's not secure. And Governor Greg Abbott of Texas damn well knows it. He knows it. And that's why he's engaging. And that's why he put up the razor wire. The Supreme Court says, hey, you don't get to decide that. The president does. And if the president wants to take it down, he can. I kind of expected that response and that answer. And then I expect Governor Abbott to say, okay, we're going to do something else. And never stop. And never, ever stop fighting. Until we get ourselves a secure border. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love. Hanging with friends who lift you up. And experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is Tony Katz today. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The unseriousness about our economics from this administration. When things were starting to trend in a better direction, we said the words. We were honest. We were clear. We we talk a, a lot to um, 
Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. We, we take a look at what's happening and we say, what does it mean? Now what we want it to mean, what does it actually mean? I don't think anybody, regardless of their politics, somehow benefits from high inflation. Oh, we need that inflation high so we can win the election. The economy, when it comes to the electorate, is very much about a feeling than a reality. Now, that feeling oftentimes comes from reality, but it comes from the idea that there's somebody within the Oval Office who has an understanding of how to make it work. So much of Trump's success with the economy was based on the idea that people believed that they could make investments for the long term because the nation wasn't going to pull the rug out from under them. Now, certainly those people could not have predicted uh, things like, like COVID, right? You could not have predicted that. You could, you could not have understood that effect on an economy. Now, you could argue that it would have had less of an effect if we didn't engage lockdowns. I won't disagree with you at all, kitten. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? 833-468-8669 is the number. 833-GOT-TONY. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Become a supporter there. I'd greatly appreciate the help. And of course, subscribe on Rumble and on YouTube, where we often do the live stream like it's happening right now. People felt confident that they could make an investment and see that investment work out. When you don't see investment, very often it's predicated on the idea that the business owner doesn't know what's going to happen next, what an administration might do, what a reckless person might do that could change what their investment strategy was. That unpredictableness... That leads to a lack of security, and that leads to anxiety. And certainly that's what we see in today's economy. If the inflation rate were to go down, I don't believe that anxiety were to go away because the inflation did start ticking down, the anxiety didn't go away. And then the Consumer Price Index came out last month, and or was it just a couple weeks ago, and we saw we were back to 3.9% inflation when the target rate from the Federal Reserve is 2%. Yet somehow this administration wants to tell us that everything is going super great. This was a couple of weeks ago, the president, Joe Biden. Look, put it all together. America has, this is a fact, the strongest growth rate of any and the lowest inflation rate of any major economy in the world, in the world. We have a lot more work to do. There's no question our plan of investing in America and the American people is working. It's all part of my economic vision, building an economy from the middle out, from the middle class out and the bottom up. It's all part of Joe Biden's economic vision, which he has when he's dreaming, when he's taking all of his naps, which are happening all of the time. It's his economic vision. His economic vision has us back up at uh, 3.9%. On inflation. Then there's the conversation about unemployment. The unemployment numbers are under 4%. They're under 4%. Isn't that wonderful? That's kind of a false number. I get why people would want to tout it. I, and I understand politically while they want, why they want to share it. But they're also the people who share, look at all the jobs we've created. People going back to work post-COVID is not job creation. And I put forth to you, based on the data, that no jobs have been created. We are still underwater, as Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, explains. 
We have not created a job. The Biden administration has not created a job. People going back is not job creation. It is this kind of mathematics that is so gross and so offensive when the Biden administration puts it out there. This was Jared Bernstein. He was on CNBC having this conversation and trying to play in this space when asked the questions by Joe Kern. I'm telling you right now, if if you're driving hands on 10 and 2, if you're if you're uh, utilizing a knife or any kind of thing sharp right now, maybe not. This is super frustrating. Listen. The grocery store, even though now it's only going up at 3%, it's still in there. And wage gains, okay. real wage gains didn't start until mid last year. So people are still, their buying power is less than when President Biden came in. And you just have to acknowledge yeah. that and not say everything's great. And that Biden well, I, I, did all I, this. As I said, you know, as I said in my first set of comments, and the, as the president says, every time he talks about this, prices are still too high. Uh, we very much agree w- with that part of your rap. But let me tell you where I think you're you're a bit stale there, my friend. Uh, when it comes to uh, two issues there, both uh, fiscal policy and inflation. So on fiscal policy, absolutely, the American Rescue Plan was essential to get shots in arms and checks in pockets to get us to the other side of the uh, crisis induced by the pandemic. And remember, when when we came into office, there was about a zero percent vaccination rate across the country. So getting that program uh, going relative to our predecessor was essential for reopening the economy. But at this point, there is uh, zero or even negative fiscal impulse. And that's a really important term in this context. What it means is the change between fiscal uh, 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 fiscal activity last year and this year. And so fiscal impulse really isn't contributing uh, much to the uh, economy's growth at all. And why that's important is because we kind of have this virtuous cycle going. We have a 70% consumer spending economy. When you maintain an unemployment rate that's been below 4% for almost two years, and inflation is easing as much as it has, and that's the other part I, I want to push back on, those real wage gains, which have been year over year growing for 10 months in a row. Now, we need more of that, but it's not just a blip. Uh, they're supporting consumer spending on the private side. If you look at investment, private investment up uh, massively in terms of investing in manufacturing facilities. And again, the president's fingerprints are very much on that inflow of private capital investment. Now, on inf- Let's be clear. The president's fingerprints are not on any inflow of capital investments. But can we take a moment to that line about shots in arms and checks in pockets? That line is so frustrating, I want to scream. Shots in arms and checks in pockets? You're proud of this? First, do not take credit for the spread of the vaccine. When Biden took office, the vaccine was just getting rolling. If you want to give Trump credit for the creation of the vaccine and Operation Warp Speed, you go right ahead. But there was no vaccine to get rolling. So it's not as if his predecessor didn't do a job of getting people the vaccine. There was no vaccine to get going. 
And yet, this is a great example of this Biden administration again and again and again trying to engage a rewriting of history to show how great they are. You haven't created a job. People got back to work. You didn't vaccinate uh, America when, when your predecessor couldn't. There was nothing for the predecessor to give. The predecessor just did the job of creation. And then, of course, we know about issues with the vaccine that some people have and some people took it and et cetera, et cetera. This is propaganda nonsense from beginning to end. It is a gross, gross misrepresentation of the data, of the reality. The second part goes to the idea of the unemployment rate. Unemployment's under 4%. Does unemployment actually have meaning? And that's a, you will find people who have different theories and different philosophies to this. The unemployment rate matters. In, I think the expression would be insofar as the labor participation rate shows more people working. But if people have dropped out, well, then a, an unemployment number could be artificially depressed. The labor force participation rate shows how many people are actually in the labor force or looking in, in, the, in the labor force. If people have given up getting a job, That's less people in the labor force, therefore less people looking for a job. Unemployment what? Goes down. People have retired. People have said, I'm not dealing with this anymore. People have said, forget it. I heard a statistic. I thought this was fascinating. And and producer Jason, I want you to look it up. I was discussing the other day this idea of doom spending. Have you, I don't know if you've ever heard the, the, the term. Uh, it, it, it freaked me out. I, I, I have thought about it every day since I've gone over it. I've looked at it. And one of the things uh, that, that doom spending has the, the theory of is that you take a look at the fact that holiday spending went well. Where are these people getting the money? Where's all the money? How are the stores full? The, this economy is not okay. What's happening? The theory of doom spending is... People are anxious, as we've discussed about, the the anxiety society. And they need a way to calm themselves down. They need a way to make things better. What do they do? They buy a new pair of shoes. They buy a TV. They buy a this. They buy a that. They feel better. Well, what do they do about the, the debt side? I can't worry about that. I need to feel good. Meanwhile, third quarter credit card debt in America was $1.08 trillion. That is a foreshadowing number. We have not yet gotten the fourth quarter numbers. I'm waiting on those. We'll see where the debt structure is. The other side of, of, of doom spending is the idea that, well, it's all going to hell anyway. Might as well have a new big screen. It's all going to hell anyway. Might as well get those new Jordans. It's all going to hell anyway. Might as well go on vacation. It is the view that it's all going to fall off a cliff. And so therefore, get it done. And this is where an interesting stat uh, came in. The statistic, what was the statistic? It was a data point. Or maybe it was uh, anecdotal. Follow me. After September 11th, luxury spending went up. And producer Jason, I'd like for you to look that up. After September 11, 2001, the terrorist attacks, the murder of our fellow Americans, luxury spending went up. Now, I had never thought about it until the moment it was it was brought up to me. Uh, but the minute you hear it, you, you go, you, you take a breath and you're like, all right, I guess I could see that. 
People saw a terrorist attack, realized I could be gone any second from one of these terrorist attacks. Might as well drive a Porsche. Might as well get a fur. I don't know if they got first. Might as well fly first class. Might as well buy a Rolex. I'm not doing a Rolex today. Uh, today I am doing the uh, 1959 Hamilton Thinomatic. Oh, it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a classic piece. Maybe not the most expensive piece out there, but it's pretty, people. Um, you can kind of see that where people said this could, this could all go to hell so quickly. Uh, Let's enjoy ourselves while we can. The doom spending is an opposite mathematics and one that frightens because this same person who told me this, this, this bit of anecdote, who is a business owner in Indianapolis, was very clear that they don't like what they're seeing going forward. Anecdotally, this is the third small business owner, a nice size small business, mind you, who has said they don't look like they don't like what they see going forward in 2024. Which brings us back to Jared Bernstein uh, from the White House economic team who bragged about shots in arms and checks in pockets. You engage an unprecedented level of spending, and by the way, Trump engaged spending. You engage in an unprecedented level of spending, and you don't recognize how that caused the inflation? Are you... Is it that you think we're stupid or is that you don't care you're going to say this because that's how you get to keep your job on the White House economic team and who really cares about the truth or data or facts or decency or relevancy? The checks in pockets is the problem. The, the, the legislation that you're cheering and that people like Corinne Jean-Pierre cheer every day, that's the issue. Look what we did with the infrastructure. Look what we did with the Inflation Reduction Act. Spending on spending on spending leading to the inflation. The inflation fight is indeed a fight between Jerome Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, and Joe Biden and the progressive left, which was aided by a completely intransigent Congress because the Republicans are morons and they couldn't get their you-know-what together. Your cheering checks in pockets? Good Lord. You know, sometimes you realize that the the Democratic Party is really doing everything possible to make it easier for the Republicans to take the White House. It seems that way. And meanwhile, there are Democrats who are working to replace Joe Biden. Man, Congressman Dean Phillips is a story. I have that next. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. And this is Tony Katz today. Dean Phillips is a Democrat, and Dean Phillips is running for president as a Democrat, and Dean Phillips is hated, hated by the Democratic Party. I mean, you, you can't imagine how little the Democratic Party thinks of a guy challenging the sitting president. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Oh, I don't know if it's that bad. I don't know. Maybe. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. But when Dean Phillips is going on CNN and saying, if Biden thinks, if the Democratic Party thinks Biden can win re-election, well, they're delusional? That is unelectable. I mean, the data is showing every single poll coming out right now, Kristen, everyone is showing him falling further behind, his approval numbers at historic lows. And I'm trying to generate a wake-up call to Democrats that we have a real problem here. And rather than stifling and suppressing competition, we should be encouraging it. That's why I spent the better part of a year encouraging other candidates to enter the race. The water's warm. We need to practice democracy now. And I want to make something clear. The president is not a threat to democracy, but running and suppressing other candidates is a threat when you are behind in the polls like he is. And frankly, to disenfranchise voters in Florida and North Carolina, which is what has happened in the last two weeks, is also a risk. Damn. Damn. Um, I'm curious to, to, you know, in, in wondering how many people are going to challenge him for his congressional seat, exactly how much effort is going to be put into removing that guy from office. But that is incredible to hear. Absolutely incredible to hear that kind of directness and, and aggressiveness uh, uh, directed towards the Democratic Party. Meanwhile, of course, uh, you have got the New Hampshire primary going on right now. Uh, Nikki Haley, Donald Trump, Trump ahead between 17 and, and 19 points in that that final polling. I actually, I actually have that polling, don't I? Don't I have that poll? Yeah, I do. So here's New Hampshire. Uh, right there, real clear politics average, Trump 55.8, Haley 36.5%, which would have Trump up 19.3 because a couple polls came out in the last 24 hours that have Trump up in, in, in the plus 20 range. And then you look at South Carolina, and we're still looking at least when, when, when I got the numbers, uh, that Emerson poll from the beginning of January that puts Trump up 30, Trump 52, Haley 21.8. And DeSantis, 11 uh, in in this one. One would think that the DeSantis voter is going uh, to Trump and not to and not to Nikki Haley. I, I, I think more and more that that's, well, I think clearly the, the, the answer there, one would assume. Um, if, if the polling is right, and, and it's in this, you know, 17 to 19 range for, for Trump, and Trump gets seven, wins by 17, that would mean that Iowa was accurate in its polling and New Hampshire was accurate in its polling. And if Iowa's accurate, New Hampshire's accurate, there's no reason to think that South Carolina isn't going to be, isn't going to be accurate. There's, there hasn't been, I, I want to just double check. There hasn't been a new number in South Carolina, has there? No, no, it's, it's, it's still the same. So there's some polling, I'm sure, that will come. And for Nikki Haley to have a, a night, she needs to overperform. She needs to be able to bring in a number that is bigger or, or creates a spread uh, better than 17. 
If she loses by 15, that's not it. If she loses by five, well, then she can have a conversation. She might be able to get some donors to keep playing along through South Carolina and into Super Tuesday. She says, we're not going anywhere. Well, uh, very often it's it's not what you get to decide. The people decide for you. This is Tony Katz today. I do love a good competency test. And I'm adoring the fact that this has now become the new litmus test. The insanity of this idea. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Rumble or on uh, YouTube and get the videos and everything else we do. Find everything at TonyKatz.com and become a supporter there. So Nikki Haley and Donald Trump have both decided that everybody needs a litmus test. Everybody. This is the best. Uh, but but I mean, it, this is this occurs in in different ways. Uh, it starts with Jim Clyburn, the congressman from South Carolina, who has decided that Nikki Haley is a racist for saying that a president Kamala Harris would be scary. When you listen to Nikki Haley, she says that it's not just about Biden, but about the vice president. That everyone should fear a president Kamala Harris. How should the Biden campaign be thinking about utilizing her, be thinking about pitching her as vice president just as much as him for president? You know, uh, when I saw that come from Nikki Haley, I was very, very disappointed uh, because that's to me is a dog whistle. Uh, this is all uh, about someone trying to instill fear in people. Uh, You don't get to talk about putting fear in people when every four seconds your party is screaming uh, that my existence is a threat to democracy. You don't get to talk about putting fear in people, Representative Clyburn. And you don't get to say that Nikki Haley is issuing some kind of dog whistle because she thinks Kamala Harris would be scary as president of, of the United States. She'd be frightening as all hell. <laughs> See, it's all, no, no, it's only funny now to think about when she's when she's uh, the president. That's that's just going to be awful. So there's this this idea that everybody, you know, oh, they're they're engaged in racism. Oh, they're engaged in bigotry. Oh, they're a threat to democracy. Right? All these bits of madness. The latest one from the Republicans is everybody needs a a, a test. You need a test in order to be uh, president. And and, and, and you're going to have to take uh, this this new litmus test, an aptitude test. You're going to have to prove your mental acuity. And they're both saying it. Haley is saying it. 
I am here to tell you that I would give anything to see an aptitude test take place. I would give anything to see Trump and 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 Nikki Haley and Joe Biden all take an aptitude test. I would adore it. And Trump, he's down. Well, I think I'm a lot sharper than her. I would do this. I would sit down right now and take an aptitude test, and it would be my result against her result, and she's not going to win. She's not going to even come close to winning. Uh, in fact, when I heard the word cognitive, you know, I've taken two of them now. I took one with Doc Ronnie, who's now a fantastic, you know, White House doctor, and a fantastic uh, congressman from Texas, Admiral, the White House doctor, Jackson, Ronnie Jackson, and he's uh, now a great congressman from Texas. I took uh, one then, and I took one recently. I think the result was announced, and it was, I aced it twice. I aced it. But I would say that, you know, I've actually called for a cognitive test for anybody running for president, because I actually think that's a good idea. It would be nice to have an intelligent person be president. I'd give anything to make this happen. I would give anything to make this happen. What do I have to do? What fund must I contribute to in order to see the cognitive face-off between Trump and Nikki Haley? Oh, and Joe Biden. Anything to see it happen. Um, now, of course, you can't do any of this. I don't even believe you can give a cognitive test. There is no requirement under the Constitution of the United States other than born in the U.S. and be the age 35 uh, that you have to fulfill. One does not have to take a cognitive test. And remember, these things, these things matter. But isn't that saying something weird about us, that this is kind of where we're at? That... That if you if you were really to poll America, like really take a look, there's a great majority of people be like, hell yeah, give them a cognitive test. What are you nuts? These people, absolutely, absolutely. But then most people think you have to be crazy to run for president anyway. They would love to see it as much as as much as I I want to cheer it on. All right, and, and think that it's adorable. It's it's something quite incredible and problematic to the nation uh, when uh, you 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 go down this road. What is it that we're actually saying? Is there any doubt that we take a look at this? We take a look at Joe Biden and say that guy is not all right because that guy is not 
all right. He is not mentally fit to do the job. And you say to me, well, Tony, that's a conversation about age. Let me uh, bring you to Illinois, where you have a councilman by the name of Josh McBroom out of Napierville. And he's got an answer to the illegal immigration issue. And the answer is a sign-up sheet so you can house them. You know, we do hear from constituents on both sides of this. What are we going to do to preemptively stop this? And then we hear from people that tell us we should do more. So, you know, we do have a a very affluent community, a lot of big homes. And um, what I'd like to do is direct staff to create a sign-up sheet. So, you know, for individuals that would be willing to house migrant families. Um, And if there's people that would do that, God bless them. Um, So if we could raise raise awareness in that way, um, I think we need to find out. I think we need to find out who would be willing to house migrant families. And uh, so that that would be my new business. I'd be looking for, you know, support from, from the dais. Any questions, discussion, happy to have that. Does anybody think that guy passes a competency test? Take illegal immigrants who you know nothing about and put them in your home with your young children. I want to know exactly how many single males he is going to take into his home and whether or not he has young daughters. And if you say to me, how dare you, Tony, I'm discussing reality. That guy needs a competency test because that's the craziest damn idea I ever did here. Why in the world should we turn people around, send people back, have rules and regulations at the border? The answer is open up your homes. You see, the Third uh, uh, Amendment only talks about the quartering of soldiers. Doesn't say anything about the quartering of people who are entering illegally and could be constituted as invaders. No, not at all. That guy needs a competency test. You think it's just Biden and Trump? You're out of your damn mind. Competency test? Here's another one. Any plans to visit the southern border before the election? The president was in, visited the border recently. In January. Well, well, yeah, that was that was a year ago. He's been there. Um, in December 2023, there were 300,000 migrant encounters, which is the highest month ever on record. So how- Can we just stop? He visited the border a year ago? He was in El Paso? He wasn't at the border. He was miles from the border. What? Double check me. Was he in El Paso or was he in San Antonio? A year ago, I was at the border in McAllen. My hand was in the Rio Grande. I watched it afterwards. I was there. I spoke with a border patrol. He was in El Paso. Thank you, producer Jason. That's not being at the border. Competency test. Get it done. There's a never-ending number of people who need this test so desperately. It goes on and on and on. Somebody who does not need a competency test is Steve Garvey. Steve Garvey out of California, we're talking about the former Los Angeles Dodger. He is on the debate stage running for Senate. He's running against Adam Schiff. He's running against Katie Porter. 
Representative Katie Porter, dude, the knock on her, I, I believe every word, that she is just as nasty and mean-spirited as the day is long. But he's the only Republican on the stage. You've got Porter, you've got Schiff, and then you've got Barbara Lee on the stage. And Steve Garvey is discussing uh, how Adam Schiff lied uh, about Trump and, 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 and about everything involving Russia, Russia, Russia. And then Schiff decides he's going to get all high and mighty with him. And Garvey lowers the boom. Thank you, Mr. Garvey. All right. We're going we're gonna, gonna, to insist on answering. Right. Just called a liar by Mr. Garvey. Okay. 30 Mr. seconds. Mr. Garvey, I was censured for standing up to a corrupt president. And you know something? I would do it all over again. Because that corrupt president, that president who's been indicted with 94 felony, 91 felony counts, that president that you won't refuse to support, yeah, he's a danger. And I will stand up to him and Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan and any of those MAGA enablers of his in the Congress. The reason why our democracy is in trouble is because folks don't have the courage to stand up when they need to. Okay, thank you very much. Sir. We're going to keep, we're going to keep, we're going to keep let moving. Me, let me just heap that. Both my name. All right. R- real quick. Sir, you lied to 300 million people. You can't take that back. Okay, we're going to keep moving. Uh, this is the sh- Schiff competency test. Steve Garvey, where do I donate? Holy crap. Oh, so good. So good. And of course he did. Of course he lied. Of course he lied. I've got the proof. I I can't share with you all the data, Chuck Todd, but I know that we've got more information regarding Trump and what he did. You had nothing. You lied. You lied during the daytime. You lied during the nighttime. You lied over the weekends. You lied about everything. Competency test for Adam Schiff. Uh, for, for, for Steve Garvey. Uh, honestly, honestly, where do I donate? Where, 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 where do I give that dollar? Uh, there, there sadly won't be competency tests, but maybe I'm saying it wrong. Um, if we need competency tests for political candidates outside our own vote, we're the ones who need the competency test. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. The Dow. Down 111, the NASDAQ up 20. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Four. I mean, that's just... It, it, sometimes, uh, look, it, it's not the end of the world. People get concerned about these things. What's going to happen to this, that, and the other? What is it telling us? It's one day. 
it's not a week's worth of these kinds of things. And and there's a little too much pressure that we put on ourselves uh, regarding uh, the markets uh, to begin with. Tony Katz, uh, Tony Katz today. Good uh, to be with you. Find everything going on over there at TonyKatz.com. But this is the story. This one is amazing. Netflix to stream WWE Raw. It's a $5 billion deal. $5 billion. 10-year deal. That's $500 million a year for those of you playing the home game. That is incredible. So this is for uh, Raw, and Netflix will become the home for SmackDown, NXT, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Royal Rumble. Honestly, I haven't watched a, a Royal Rumble um, since uh, Jimmy Superfly Snooker left, and I'm, unless he comes back, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not watching. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You got to have rules. You you bring me Snooker. You bring me uh, the magnificent Don Morocco, a little Mr. Wrestling 2. I want some Junkyard Dog in there. And sure, sure, you can bring me Ric Flair. He's 183 years old. But as long as we're going that old, I need some Tommy Wildfire Rich. I don't even know if he's still alive. Because Roddy Piper's not alive. But I don't know if Tommy Rich is still alive. And then I need some Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. I, so, yes, I was a Georgia Championship Wrestling guy. I, 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 I. Kid you not, but I, 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 left, I, I left that behind years ago. People have not left it behind. This, if this isn't the proof of its popularity and explains so much about Dwayne Johnson and John Cena and being able to make that jump, I, I, I'm curious to, to who's next from that world. What was that? I know Jimmy Snuka is gone. Uh, I don't need to be reminded, Producer Jason, that Jimmy Snuka, the great Jimmy Superfly Snuka, is gone. All right? Don't make me tear up. I'm just saying, that to me is a Royal Rumble. And as for who jumps now into into fame, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious. But you want to be like, oh, it's fake? Okay, sure. You want to be like, oh, it's ridiculous? Feel free. Five billion dollars. Ball game. Vince McMahon is a genius. Genius. That's all there is to it. Find everything going on at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. Live. From the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The Biden administration getting a win, and they're allowed to cut down the razor wire in Texas. Oh, no, it's not a win for the country. It's just a win for them, for the administration that is completely deluded when it comes to the border and thinks that they've got the solutions well so there is no question that our immigration system is broken and so much so that we as the first bill that we offered after our inauguration was 
to fix the immigration system, which included what we must do to create a pathway for citizenship mm -hmm. and to put the resources that are needed into the border. But sadly, people on the other side of the aisle have been playing politics with this issue. The solutions are at hand. And, you know, gone are the days, sadly, where a President Bush or John McCain understood that we should have a bipartisan approach to fixing this problem, which is... A May I just say for the record, Vice President Harris, that bipartisan would mean everybody giving a little and getting a little. Your view is you get everything, but your everything doesn't do anything. And since you're the party in power and the Republicans said we can't do that here, we have uh, HB2 over here, you're saying no to that. Isn't there a bit of a compromise that could at least get a couple of these programs, whether it be the technology piece or whether it be a humanitarian piece or whether it be the labor piece going? No, you want to talk about playing politics. You doing an interview about this with CNN is the politics. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. You get the podcast over there. Get the videos over there. All the good stuff over at TonyKatz.com. This administration is unserious about the border and talking points like this. That we should have a bipartisan approach to fixing this problem, which is a long-standing problem. But what are those solutions? The solutions include putting resources at the border to do what we can to process people effectively and putting in place laws that actually allow for a meaningful, meaningful pathway to citizenship. She said nothing, but the pathway to citizenship part is, of course, a non-starter. No, we don't give people in the country illegally a pathway to citizenship. And that is not how you deal with the border. You deal with the border by telling people you can't cross illegally, you stay out. And if we have to, we put up razor wire. This is what the Supreme Court just said that the United States can remove. It was a five to four vote. You had Chief Justice Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett voting with uh, the liberal justices saying that indeed this is up to the, 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 the president who decides immigration policy. Now, as a matter of just understanding of the, of the rules, I agree with this. I absolutely positively agree with this, that the president gets to decide border policy just like we said Trump gets to decide border policy. The fact that Biden has terrible border policy, that means we should elect somebody else. I actually like to take this philosophy and then apply it to the people who claim that Donald Trump can't take classified documents. Somehow he can't declassify the document. There has to be a system. There's no system. He's the commander-in-chief. He can declassify something just by talking about it, just by deciding it. How is that not the case? If the commander-in-chief can decide immigration policy by saying this is what is and this is what isn't, how is it possible the same thing can't happen with the classified document? The argument of should they, oh, I'll get into a whole should they thing with Taylor Swift. That's right. I've got a Taylor Swift story coming. Don't you judge me. It's excellent. I guarantee it or your money back. Wait, the show is free? Still your money back. The president gets to decide border policy. And I think that to the extent I have the, the, all the facts right about this case, the Supreme Court is accurate. If I'm Texas, I keep going. Try something else. Do something else. Change something else. Maneuver something else. Force the administration to recognize their failings. Uh, uh, Joe Biden finally admitted that the border is not secure. Where's the, where, the Republican Party should be all over this. Pushing their legislation and forcing Chuck Schumer to vote on it. All over it.
But to listen to Kamala Harris talk about the border and not give a policy, because she doesn't know a policy, because she hasn't been there, because she doesn't know much of anything. I mean, that's the only thing we can all agree on. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. I, like you, am exhausted of seeing the Kansas City Chiefs in any playoff situation. The fact that the Bills couldn't beat the Chiefs, that they were, they were was it was it wide right? Was it wide right on the field goal? I couldn't even watch the end of the game. Just disastrous. I don't want to see the Chiefs, and I don't want to see Chelsea, uh, Travis Kelsey, and I don't want to see Taylor Swift. I don't want to see the things. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. And I'm not an anti-Swiftite. I just, I just don't want it. I want no part of it. I just I just want to be left alone from it. But this story about the Taylor Swift concert and the cancellation of hotel rooms, sorry. This is a thing. And the more I stare at this story out of Indianapolis, the more I'm like, what the bloody heck? And what happens? So here's the story. Fox 59 had the, the story. It, it goes as follows that you've got these these people across the country who reserved their hotel room and tic- and got their tickets to see Taylor Swift. She'll be in Indianapolis for November right before the election. We'll see if she gets political or not. It's going to be it's going to be enjoyable to say the least. It bring a lot of money to the city. Great, wonderful, terrific. I love it. They got their tickets, they got their hotel room. One of the places they got their hotel was the Sheridan City Center. Sheridan, nice place for sure. Next thing you know, these fans start getting notices that their reservation was canceled. The hotel, through the reporting, is claiming that we we tried to run the card, the card said insufficient funds, and so we canceled the reservation. The hotel never reached out, and according to these people... There was never anything that showed a, a an attempted charge. They had money in their bank account. And when it was a true credit card, they had a limit that could handle the hotel room. Only one person from the reporting, because all of them started talking in these Taylor Swift chat rooms that exist on Facebook and other places. I don't know. I guess that's the way it is. And they're like, this is happening. One person showed screenshots of a text message where they uh, were told that their reservation had been canceled. That's how they found out. They got a text message like, what is this? And, and, they, and they go and, and they call the hotel and it's like, sorry, sorry, uh, it, it, it got canceled. Turns out you canceled the, the reservation yourself. So in some cases, the hotel is saying it was insufficient funds. In some cases, they're saying that the fan who booked the hotel canceled the hotel reservation themselves. Now, here's where it, of course, gets into the, oh, no way. And this is where it looks bad for the Sheridan. I want to be clear because I'm not interested in being sued. I am making no accusation. I am sharing the reporting. I want to know what happens. I'd love to hear from somebody at the Sheridan because this is bad, super bad PR. If I'm talking about it, this is terrible, terrible PR. The people who... Can't had their reservation canceled. Then we're scrambling. 
you know, they called the hotel. Sorry, nothing we can do for you. And, uh, and we're booked up here. There's a hotel here, a hotel there. But they're much further out from downtown Indianapolis because the Sheridan, you can, it's, an, it's an easy hop, skip, and a jump to, to, to Lucas Oil Stadium where the concert is. Uh, and it's more money. And then you say to yourself, wait a second, did you say more money? And then you have to wonder, I am not accusing the Sheridan of doing anything. I, I, it, for all I know, it was the Russians. I am not making an accusation at all against the Sheridan. What I'm saying is, first, it certainly is odd that a bunch of hotel reservations were canceled when these people claim they have the money. I think we can all agree with that. It's it's a little strange, a little odd. But was their cancellation so it could be rebooked at a higher price? How many of these things occurred? Just these four or five or 40 or 45? Realizing how much higher you could go with the price and getting some more dollars. Look, I'm not the first person who has said it. I am not accusing the Sheridan of it. But it's where the mind goes, and they now have to answer the question because, you know, uh, vengeance have no fury like a swifty scorned. I don't know. Is that the expression? I'm not very good at my cliches. But they're angry. Taylor's going to write a song about you, Sheridan. The last thing you want is Taylor writing a song about you. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to be a good song, but it's still going to be a song. They got to answer the question. It is super... I mean, the whole thing is super weird. It is super ugly. Now you're going to have people checking the reservations. I, I, again, as I said, I wonder how many happened. Um, you know, there comes a moment where one has to recognize that maybe, all right, this is what we got. Next time we'll do it better. And, and so I'm not making an accusation. I don't know how many times I could say that. But sometimes people are... Um, kind of, uh, you know, trying to make up for a bad mistake. This gets people into the concept of price gouging. And allow me to be clear, there is absolutely no such thing as price gouging. It doesn't exist. It's not real. I, people like to argue this one with me all the time. They're more than welcome to. I stand committed to the concept. This is different then what it is possibly that happened here, I'm not accusing the Sheridan of anything. But let's take it uh, to a, to a, to a, uh, a, a no-name approach. If there is some kind of disaster, some kind of catastrophe, or some kind of event, and bottles of water are needed, and I sell the bottles of water, and normally a bottle of water sells for a dollar, and I decide to sell it for two dollars, that is not price gouging. That is supply and demand. There will be more demand for the thing. I have a supply. It becomes more valuable. I charge more for it. Now, one can argue that doing so is immoral. That's absolutely acceptable to argue that it is immoral. That is different than saying it is somehow illegal or you're not allowed to do it. It could be prevented. No, it can't. You have the thing, 
Somebody else wants the thing. There is now a rush on the thing. So multiple people want the things. Your thing becomes more valuable. Why is it that somehow these rules don't apply because somebody else puts their morality to it and says, how dare you? They can say that and they could be right, but it shouldn't stop you from being able to do it. The only thing that could stop you from doing it is you. Is you. Now, I, 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 will, I will tell you that there are stories of September 11th where You've got the towers going down. You've got dust and debris and mayhem everywhere. And people were trying to help other people and getting them water. And there were coffee shops and others, I don't want to use names, uh, that were charging for the water. People were like, are you crazy? There's a disaster. I have always contended that the people there who worked that coffee shop barely understood what was happening around them. I, I never once faulted them. They had a job, they sell water, you want to buy the water, you pay for the water. And, and I think some people said, how could you not realize, I think for, for a while there, when it comes to September 11th, people didn't realize actually what had happened. And maybe if you were far enough away, but you still saw the debris, you don't quite even understand what happened. You would have no idea to, uh, in a way to categorize the mayhem. And let's say you did. Does that have something to do with your age or maturity level, et cetera? I, I look often to find some levels of grace where I can. And in that in that situation, I, I always I always did. That said, I would not as a um as as a as a business entity, I would not have charged anybody. It just it would not have come to my mind. But you understand that when you're saying how dare you charge somebody, that bottle of water still costs the business. Someone took the hit on that bottle of water. And I don't know why we take a look at businesses and are like, you can just take the hit anytime we say so. The abuse, the hatred of the small business owner, the business owner in general, by uh, call it the communist, call it the, the, the leftist, call it the progressive, call it the moral. It's, it's a hatred. It's a real, raw, visceral hatred. And, and, and it's, it's a valueless proposition. These people should be beaten back with sticks. Good Lord, make them stop. If I have a product and that product suddenly becomes more valuable, I have the right to sell it for more. And it's not price gouging. There is no such thing as price gouging. You can think it immoral, but there is no such thing as price gouging. And any time the fake Native American uh, Elizabeth Warren or any of these other progressives want to come in screaming and yelling about price gouging and we need legislation, they're always wrong. You should fight back against them because if they can decide that something is price gouging, they can decide that you've made too much profit. They can decide anything in your life. They need to be stopped where they are as the remarkable, ridiculous fools that they are. It is horrific what they want to push on society. That is very different than the idea that I already purchased the thing and then someone believes they can engage in a level of revocation to increase the price. A deal is a deal and you do not go back on it. So let's say I sold the first 20 bottles of water for a buck. I can't go back and now tell them I'm taking the water away. It's two bucks. I can sell the next people a bottle of water for two bucks. 
if the hotel room was sold for, let's call it $200 a night, I don't know. Some of them are going for 700 bucks a night. If I sold these people the room for $200 a night because I wasn't aware that the largest concert uh, that, that's sweeping uh, the, 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 the nation, never mind the world, is coming to town, well, that's my fault for being a lousy business owner, for not being able to forecast, and for not engaging a higher price. Because nobody would object to the higher price. As a matter of fact, do we ever say that hotels are guilty of price gouging? That you never, you never hear that. But of course, we recognize rationally that when there is an event, so whether concert or, 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 or uh, the NBA All-Star Game, which is going to be in Indianapolis, or the Super Bowl, which should be in Indianapolis, why in the world am I going to Vegas? Oh, that's right, the sports gambling. <laughs> Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We know what time it is, Roger Goodell. Um, The price goes up. Of course it does. We're fully aware of this. We accept this because supply and demand is real. But if I book the room, you don't get to cancel and then rebook it at a higher rate. That, that is an issue. That's, to, to say it in its most, I think, general sense, a lawyer might disagree with me about the terminology, but agree with me uh, upon the, the, the principle, that's fraud. Or is that theft? Or maybe, that's, maybe there's another term for it. That's some bull crap, and uh, people have to deal with the consequences. Is that what happened with these, with these Swifties? I don't know. And I am not making that accusation, Sheridan. I don't know. Can I, can I get a check from the lawyers? Have I said that enough? Have I been clear? Have I been clear? I'm not making any accusation whatsoever. I'm discussing um, uh, uh, something in, in the pretend, something in the ether. This is a thing. And I, and I think it's going to get looked at. I think it's going to get looked at. And you know the guy who should look at it? And and he w- I don't even think he would believe he should look at it, except I believe he absolutely should look at it. In Indiana, the Attorney General, Todd Rakita. I think you should look at it. This, it's, it's a thing. It's weird, right? It's weird. And maybe it's nothing more than a couple of phone calls and getting an understanding of what's going on. I don't know if it's necessarily a full-on investigation, but it should get looked at because it's, it's odd. And I would like to know, was it just the, uh, this handful of, of reservations or are we going to find out that it's more? I want to... I want to know so bad. Again, again, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. All right. I think I should stop talking about this now before it's too late. Well, you don't want the hotel people coming after you. Bad news, man. Bad news. This is Tony Katz today. yet another hit against the Houthi rebels 
from the U.S. military. This being the United States and the U.K. I keep making the argument that it seems to me that our problem is, in the United States, when it comes to elected officials, there is no understanding that we are indeed at war with Iran because Iran is at war with us. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now, a retired United States Army West Point guy. He is our military analyst, as you see him all over your radio and TV dials, but this is the only radio dial and video dial that that matters. Sir, let's get into uh, my basic premise here, um, which is these strikes on Houthi rebels only continue to prove that we're at war with Iran because Iran is at war with us. I want to get to that, but let's start with what it is these strikes have engaged. How did the first strikes or the first seven strikes fail, and what's the purpose here? Well, Tony, first, they haven't failed. They just started this process of trying to restore some kind of deterrence. Um, We don't have any. The Houthis, we're, we're on two different wavelengths. The Houthis want war with the United States. They think of this as a way of punching up. They think this is a way of of uh, mobilizing their people. Uh, They have thousands of rockets and missiles and all all equipped by Iran. Uh, We now are telling the Houthis all we're trying to do is restore maritime shipping lanes in the Red Sea. We don't really seem to want any kind of combat with them. But then now in the past 48 hours, we've increased the number of attacks that we've made on their uh, their facilities. Now, in order for this behavior to change here, we've got to go to a full air campaign. We have to literally go 24-7, 2,000 sorties, something where we, if we really want to restore the Houthis and restore the deterrence that exists there, um, we've got to absolutely you know, step up the amount of attacks that we're going to make here. But for whatever reason, because of the Iranian influence, every time we fire a rocket into Yemen, into a Houthi uh, stronghold, there's likely Iranian soldiers getting killed. And for whatever reason, this administration wants nothing to do with escalating anything with Iran. That That is uh, certainly been the story. And this goes back to the Iranian nuclear deal, the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action under the Obama administration, the uh, Biden administration insistence of returning uh, to uh, that that mission, that that theory that somehow Iran can be stopped from getting uh, a, a nuclear weapon, which I, I think we could clearly argue, no, they can't. What is the rationale here for the, the deference when it comes to Iran? Do you see a strategic possibility from it? No, and, and I do think that Iran is behind every single one of these attacks. The bottom line is, each of us have got uh, our allies have existential threat, right? If Israel, Israel is our ally here, there's an existential threat between Hamas, Hezbollah, and really Iran as the proxies that they support are all against Israel. But then on the flip side here, um, from Iran's perspective, the Houthis, Hezbollah, Hamas, that's their allies, and they're, they're having an existential threat. So I think that's where this proxy war is really taking place. Now, I, I agree with you also that the, the, the thinking is that, oh, no, the, the Iranians don't want this to be es- you know, escalated. I just don't think that's the case. You had uh, the naval commander uh, down in, in CENTCOM, I think, come out just today and say that the Iranians' fingerprints are all over what's going on in Houthi, directing those attacks. They have to be. They have to be getting the information from someplace. So as we do an, either an air campaign to go after that material, take away their capability to wage war, 
and then also some kind of interdiction on supplies coming in from the Persian Gulf. You saw we lost two, sadly, we lost two SEALs in that mission. Um, it's a hard, but it's, it's going to be worth the while if we can get the Houthis to stop firing. That mission, uh, talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, that mission was stopping ships uh, that are taking arms from Iran and sending them to the Houthi rebels and other places. And that story of two Navy SEALs who, after a 10-day search mission, rescue mission, has turned into a recovery mission, got no real press coverage whatsoever, as if there is a desire to keep this story very, very quiet. But it brings us to this this hard uh, question. Is the United States at war with Iran when we're dealing with the Houthi rebels, when we're dealing with Hamas, which is funded uh, by Iran, and there are American hostages being held by Hamas? Or maybe said differently, is Iran at war with the United States? You know, I, there's so many conflicts taking place right now in the Middle East. Uh, who's shooting at whom? It, it's a list. I've got at least 10 conflicts that uh, are out there. If you check on, on my ex Twitter feed, you'll see that there as I've listed them. Um, I, I think that the Iranians are continuing to try to prod and to try to, uh, you know, whether they, they're at war with the U.S., I'm not sure that's the case. The Iranian, So the Iranian authoritative regime is trying to survive itself. I, you know, terrorism has now come home to roost there. You saw attacks in Kerman from ISIS-K. Uh, the attacks that uh, the, the Iranians are making now into Pakistan, into the Balachi, into Balochistan. And this is these separatist movements that are looking to overthrow the Iranian government. The Iranians argue that when they when they lob missiles into Erbil, they're attacking the Kurds there, ISIS inside of Syria. So the Iranians themselves now are attacking outside in order to try to preserve what security they have in there. Um, I guess from a perspective, they, they don't think that the United States will do uh, what it does, and that is, you know, kind of crank up the war machine and decide to go to a formal war with Iran um, for whatever reason. At least this administration won't. That would lead to a tremendously oversized regional conflict in the area where where who knows what would happen then. So let me um, continue on this on this conversation about are we at war with Iran or is it Iran w- at war with us? John Kirby, who uh, does uh, the work there. Um, which with uh, um, national security uh, was responding to a, a question that was asked of him on Good Morning America. And in this, this conversation on Good Morning America, he was asked about some recent attacks on uh, U.S. troops. I am going to do what I can. I was going to try and figure out how to how to play this. I'm not always a, a pro at the at these things just yet. But he was asked about uh, about this, and his his response was was that look, only a very small number of troops have been have been damaged here, uh, and and you know it was just some traumatic brain injuries, nothing serious. He played it off like it was no big deal. U.S. troops getting injured. Never mind being attacked, but being injured to any extent. And here's John Kirby uh, from the National Security Council, the guy who has been brought in by the administration uh, really to play some kind of uh, um, role model to Corinne Jean-Pierre as White House press secretary. And he's saying it's no big deal. You're a military guy. Is it a big deal? No, it sure is. Um, Americans, uh, you know, fathers and mothers don't send their sons and daughters to go and, and gain these, have these kind of injuries there. If they can be prevented, 
a little bit concerned about that. I think uh, he might want to take that, that back. But it's just all about this administration not wanting to really draw a red line, knowing full well that the Iranians will cross it and then ex- with an expectation of, of us doing something to them. Uh, it, it is not going to change. I don't think that uh, for as long as the Biden administration is in, is in power, uh, they're going to do whatever they can to appease uh, this situation, which is also trying to get Israel to stop what they're doing. They, they still believe in the two-state solution. All of these things that um, are just not real when it comes to the actual situation on the ground. They live in this world of, of how they want the world to be. They want it to be more globalist. They want to have uh, more uh, involvement with these other nations. But at the end of the day, that's not the world that exists right now in the Middle East. It's one of uh, one of power and it's one of uh, who, who's got the more might. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army West Point guy uh, on the X at MAJ for Major Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, MAJ Mike Lyons on on Twitter. Um, You know, sometimes I I ask the question, how does this end? You know, we've discussed this regarding Ukraine and and one of the uh, great uh, answers uh, we go back to John Kirby. Uh, he's asked the, the, the question about an endgame in Ukraine. He's like, oh, well, it's what we always expected. Here, listen. After last week's meeting on Ukraine here at the White House, uh, the Speaker of the House implied that President Biden uh, did not uh, articulate a clear strategy for Ukraine. So does the White House have one and uh, what quoting speaker johnson is the end game for ukraine uh look i i can't uh, i can't speak uh to what the the speaker has heard or read or, or understood from the countless discussions that we've had with members of congress about ukraine and what we're trying to do here um it's it's been pretty transparent and pretty clear we want ukraine to win this war, as the president has said. We want a whole, prosperous, sovereign Ukraine. We want Ukraine's <clears throat> borders, internationally established borders, to be fully recognized by everybody, and that includes Mr. Putin. Uh, Yet, while they're saying this, we also know a major, Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, that there have been conversations not so clandestine about the fact that you may have to give up something because this is uh, World War One trench warfare. Nobody's giving an inch. Everybody's stuck in the mud. And it could be this way with you losing more and more people for the next 20 years and simply Russia can afford to lose the people and, and, and you can't. So you, it leads us to what is really the end game, the desire here regarding the United States? What, what is it that, you know, how this turns out? How does this end up? Well, now the same question can be asked regarding the Houthis who are thinking that they're in control of the navigable seas and really Iran. How does this end up, or at least what is the conventional wisdom amongst your set regarding how the Biden administration will get either one of these things to end? So the Pentagon thinks that an air campaign in Yemen would do, do go a very long way to at least restoring those maritime passageways and stop the Houthis from firing there. And, and the Houthis then would risk losing the control they have of Yemen. Right. Yemen is divided in the east and the west. The Sana government, the, uh, the they're out of power now as as the you know, classic 
failed third world country where a non-state actor has taken control of the country. You know, Yemen is one of the poorest countries in the Middle East as well. There's famine. Uh, they've been killing each other there in a civil war since 2014. Saudis tried to intervene and that didn't work out because Yemen is on their border. Uh, but I do think that the, the Pentagon believes that an air campaign would destroy all their military capability as well as then put the Houthis in risk of even controlling Yemen as it sees. But then the country still just continues to spiral deeper, deeper into depression. So that, that kind of fixes one problem, though. But it doesn't fix the Iranian problem, though, because the Israelis are still going to attack um, Iranian targets inside of Syria. We see them taking out leadership there. We see them taking out leadership inside of Lebanon. So so eventually this does potentially lead to uh, the big problem that is an, an all out Iran-Israel conflict. Uh, where then it becomes from the air, from the sea, the militias, all kinds of things. That that becomes a, a very much expanded regional conflict. Uh, to, the, to that end, uh, of course, you have Iran funding Hamas. You certainly have Iran funding uh, Hezbollah uh, to the north, where they engaged a series of rocket attacks and then backed off because uh, 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 Israel was very, very solid in, in levels of, of response. How many fronts can Israel actually fight at one time before the United States says we're involved or... Well, this is your problem. Yeah, that's a great question. I think what they'll do is watch to see how Israel is doing across those fronts. And the United States will act as a tripwire at some point if they think, um, you know, it's kind of like a broken arrow scenario where if they're beginning to be overrun the capital or so, the United States then gets involved indirectly there. No troops or anything like that on the ground, uh, but this was that kind of fallacy of air power will solve that problem. You know, the Iranians won't fight Israel through their Republican Guard units, they'll use the, you know, anywhere from 125,000, 150,000 Shia militia groups that exist in Syria, inside of Iraq, uh, Hezbollah, Hamas, and they'll try to mobilize them from there. And they and they are, they have been surrounded by their enemies since their inception in 1948. But uh, I think that's, the, that's where the United States gets involved in a broken arrow situation where Israel is about to be overrun. Could you quickly uh, define broken arrow? Well, that's a situation where U.S. forces, it's a, you know, kind of an old school method where if you, if you give that command over the radio, it means every single air asset, every single asset available must respond to U.S. forces about to be overrun. You saw it took place, you know, back uh, in Vietnam era and the like uh, with, with regard to um, units uh, that were about to be overrun. Everybody basically stops what they're doing, clears their desks and gets what they can, gets any indirect fire to help. There, so I think I think that that's really what they're on standby for. You have a carrier group that's there, the destroyers, as well as the aircraft, ready to go. Should that be the case? Major Mike Lyons retired, United States Army. M A J Mike Lyons, L Y O N S. Major Mike Lyons on the Twitter box. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us, be a part of what we're doing. Much more to get to. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz today. So there is a Russian tennis player named Mira Andreeva. I mean, referred to in the article as a prodigy. And I'm like, oh, okay, she's a prodigy. She's really good at, at tennis. That's why people are paying attention to her, not why they are paying attention to her. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. They're paying attention to her at the Australian Open uh, because she has bite marks on her arm. She was seen with a bite mark on her arm. Uh, did she bite herself? 
did somebody else bite her? Is this a way she kind of psychs herself up? I don't have any answer to that. All I know is, well, that's a thing. And one of those moments where pe- I think people are absolutely right to say, hey, what's going on right here? Of course, the primary is taking place all eyes on New Hampshire. But right now, there's nothing that signals to me that anything is going to be any different than was already assumed. I keep stating that the question is going to be by how much? If we are arguing what is exceeding expectations, because all politics, all politics are an expectations game. Always has been, always will be. All Always expectations. So if Trump's ahead by the 17 to 19, yes, the latest Real Clear Politics says 19, but uh, that new poll came out. So I'm saying 17 to 19, we're fine. Remember, Trump was ahead, uh, was, we were told, uh, has 52.5% in the polling, and he won, and he got 51% of the vote. I still consider that a- a- accurate polling. I would consider that accurate. Um, so let, let's just call it 17, just for the sake of the conversation. If Trump wins by 15, that's fine. If Trump wins by five, uh, that's, a, that's, that's an opportunity for Nikki Haley. Find everything at TonyKatz.com, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z, TonyKatz.com, and find, uh, yeah, I said that. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. I got it right. I'll catch you tomorrow, everyone. Take care. Take care.